Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you another dad on the show. Michael Perry is a husband and father to two little boys, ages almost one years old and three years old. He's also the founder and CEO of Maple, a venture-backed company focused on improving the quality of life at home by making it easier to plan and manage the workload in a more equitable way. Prior to founding Maple, he was the founder and CEO of Kit, which was acquired by Shopify in 2016 and spent a few years after remaining as a director of Kit and product at Shopify. Michael has previously been recognized as a 30 under 30 by Forbes, a top marketing executive by Business Insider, and a technology influencer by Inc. Magazine. Michael resides in Santa Barbara with his family and two bulldogs, Olive and Pearl. Welcome. I'm so thrilled to be here. What a rundown. Quite an extensive resume there. Uh, I don't know about that. Didn't did mean to job. read all that. <laughs> you can't skip a beat. Some people got to take two cuts, three cuts. You just nailed it. Wow, I'm impressed. Well, to start off, I wanted to ask, what has been your biggest dad win of the week? I usually ask mom win, but what's your biggest dad win of the week? Ooh, dang. So this is going to sound like super, probably like an unexpected answer, but last night, my son had like, I think his first legitimate nightmare. The three-year-old so, or the- three-year-old, the... yeah. Okay. No, three-year-old. And like, I don't know what time it was. I was in a haze. He was like screaming, daddy, daddy. So I jump out of bed and I run down there and he's obviously very upset and he's crying and he's telling me about his nightmare. And I got in bed and cuddled with him. And this went on a couple of times throughout the night. It was a win kind of like, I think for two reasons. One is that he didn't call for mommy. So I felt like, all right. I'm pumped. I'm moving up the hierarchy of uh, of needs and wants. And I'm sure your wife was thrilled by that, that oh, she's not yeah. the one who had to get up. Yeah, she's, she's, she's pumped. But like I always find in these like really hard, you know, what most people I think gripe or complain about. My wife and I uniquely sat across from a doctor one time and he told us we probably weren't going to have kids. And so anytime these like parental hardships where you're like exhausted, you feel just like the battery is completely low, but like just laying there and like holding him and like trying to get him to go back to sleep and just stroking his hair. And just, I just felt like it was just, I was just so thankful to experience that. Just like, you know, I'm exhausted today. I'm like on my fourth or fifth cup of coffee, but I always find these things oddly as wins because I should never have gotten to experience them in the first place. So I feel super thankful. I got to have that moment with my son last night. That's a good view because most of the time I think, oh my goodness, why did you wake up? Why can't you just sleep? So I love that you put that gratefulness in it. And I will actually go back and ask you about your, you just said, you know, a doctor looked at you and said you Mm. wouldn't have kids. You know, I want to hear a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So my my wife and I started, you know, 
2018 to that we decided the time has come that we'd like to expand our family. I had been a bit of a serial entrepreneur and, um, you know, the timing wasn't appropriate. My wife and I have been together for a very long time and, you know, I had sold my company. We had enjoyed the fruits of that labor for a couple of years and traveled and whatnot. And after, a, you know, almost a year of trying, we were very unsuccessful at getting pregnant. And my wife, who has like the most intuitive sense of any human I've ever met, was very, very confident something was wrong. And, you know, I never claimed to be overeducated. I don't ever remember even passing a biology class, but I certainly never thought that at 32 years of age, we were going to be facing a reproductive issue. I think that like many, I was ignorant to think that, you know, one day you decided, you know, you spend all of your teenage and early twenties hoping to not get somebody pregnant. <laughs> and from the flip and, side, we do everything yeah. to make sure that doesn't happen. And then yeah, once exactly. it's time, you're like, wait, I have to wait till what time of the month? Like there's only three days. Like what? I'm so confused by this. Exactly right. And so, you know, I was trying to find every legitimate reason under the sun. Like, oh no, we missed that window. I used to travel a lot for work, right? So we missed that window or like I was sitting in a hot tub for a week. It probably was me, like all my sperm died or, you know, all the different yeah. reasons. Like there's no way that we're going to have some sort of reproductive problem. Uh, but turns to find out my wife was on it and we, we did have an issue that, you know, quite frankly meant that we probably weren't going to be able to biologically naturally produce children. At least if we wanted to be a couple with one another, we weren't going to yeah. be able to naturally be able to produce children. And there was no alternative. We want to spend our life together. And so I would say in, in the 17 year, uh, going on 17 year relationship with my wife, I would say that was the hardest car ride home. Like of our whole relationship, I could like say, what was the hardest moment? I think sitting there as a partner and watching somebody just really feel shattered is like, uh, it's a feeling I would never wish on anybody to watch their spouse feel that kind of pain and sadness. But thankfully, by the grace of the universe and a lot of tremendously generous people who've helped further the research of mutual fertilization, uh, in 2019, we were able to welcome our first son, Leander, to the world. And then in 2021, we were able to welcome our second son by way of IVF to the world. So, you know, I just feel so many people in our reproductive journey that we've come across are being deeply denied such an incredible experience of being a parent. And so I always just fall back to like, the alternative would have been no children, you know? And so I feel really lucky every tear, every diaper, every meltdown, every, I'm actually like, holy shit, this is awesome. I actually want to ask because most of the time I'm talking to the moms about IVF or the moms about their journey. And so this is amazing. I get the other side on the podcast. So I want to ask for you, what do you think are, you know, if you had to give advice to any, you know, future dads out there or partners that are going through this journey, what would you say besides just, you know, be supportive? Like what are any sort of like tangible tools or, you know, things that you found as the partner helping to support? Well, you know, it's a really, this sounds almost hard to say, because I'm sure there's a lot of women who listen to your podcast who, who may have gone through a reproductive challenge and journey of their own, whether that's hormonal treatment or IVF, or, you know, there's a, a lot of different things that people take on to get pregnant. So it feels almost selfish. And I've actually written about this. I have a very hard time talking about it because you almost feel someone who's not going through the drug treatment or going through the procedures and the injections and the, my gosh, it's such a, 
spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically, just hardship for someone to take on. You almost carry the sense of guilt that you don't feel like it's okay to talk about it. And you feel you carry the sense of guilt that it's like, it's not okay to feel sad for yourself and that your job is simply to show up and support that person who's going through it. And there is some truth to that. Your job is to certainly be there for that person and love them and care for them and, you know, massage their But when they're on shot number 350 and they start getting knots and bruising and you do play a role and a different role in that regard. But I think it's really important to find people who have gone through it and it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel sad for yourself that, you know, I think we all grow up thinking that you're going to have some like come home and see a pregnancy stick. And someone's like, I'm pregnant. And you're like, that's just not how it works with IVF, right? And so you are kind of denied some of the experiences of discovering you're going to extend your family. You're certainly, it's not like you're just going home and having sex and having a good time. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a scientific thing. And so I think there's a lot of like pain and weight that's carried. I'm happy to provide my information and be a support and be a friend to any anyone, whether you're a man or someone in the LGBTQIA community and you're supporting a partner, go through it. I've sat in that seat. I've dried those tears. I've wiped my own tears. I've, I've been through it. And I've learned that sometimes when it's darkest, you have to be someone else's light. And I'm certainly happy to be that for someone else. Who did you, I guess, lean on then? Because you said, you know, in times you're sad and you felt that and you said to find like a community. Did you have anyone you could lean on? I didn't. That's why, like, I've taken this position. Like when I first got into this world, my wife and I had miscarriages and we went through so much, to be honest with you. And I remember like just going to work. I had like a team of like 150 plus people reporting to me at the time and like getting on airplanes and like the, the guilt I felt and the sadness I felt. And to some extent, I think that we need to redefine masculinity because I think that there's also like a sense of like almost like embarrassment at some point. Like you don't want to admit to somebody like, oh, we can't get pregnant. You get, you move past that shit real quick. Right. But there is like this, like this acknowledgement that how you thought your life was going to be designed is not going to meet those expectations. And, and so when we made our post that we were pregnant, I actually had posted, you know, this is 2019 which almost oddly feels ahead of its time now. Cause I don't think a lot of men posted about this back then, which was like, yeah, we had to go through IVF and I'm super thankful to all the scientists out there who dedicated their life to give me this moment. I would not have children without you. And the amount of men who privately messaged me off that post was like overwhelming and oddly, and even maybe even more sad, I guess is like the amount of women who, who privately messaged me cause they didn't feel like they had a community at that time. And my wife and I just kind of took a, in that moment on that day, after that post, which was, I think Valentine's day, I'm sorry, no, it was new year's Eve, new year's Eve, 2018, that we were just going to be super open about our process and just be super supportive and be there for people who are going through it. Cause there's no shame. And there's just like so much gratitude for this experience, but there's also a lot of heartache. Yeah. Thank you so much for opening up about that. I just, I never get to talk to the other side, you know, of, yeah. and you're right. They get pushed in the dark of the, like, we just need to be supportive. I know it's so hard, but like, you're allowed to feel those feelings too. So that, totally. thank you for that. And on that note, I kind of want to talk about roles. And so in your family, what are kind of the roles 
that you know you and your wife play because i love seeing this you're bringing to light and especially even with maple all these things that kind yeah. of either women moms think about and we just pretend that maybe the dads don't like the dads have it easy they get to fly off and go to work and they don't have yep. to think about the yep. hundreds of shots i did the hormones yep. that are going crazy the anger the sadness all of that but like you know you do so switching gears a little into kind mm -hmm. of more roles what are the roles that you and your wife play now in say the family in the household in sort of career all of that yeah i mean you know again i i want to preference that like i feel very 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 fortunate that i met my wife at 20 and i think a lot of people who jump into marriage in their 30s or go through a reproductive journey which is a stress test against your relationship like we were very fortunate that for you know a decade plus we were just a fun best friend couple right um, but we've been and we built companies and we, we did the whole thing as a team from day one and so i get a lot of questions about roles because of the nature of my work with, with maple but quite frankly like my wife and i we're co-founders to life we're co-ceos right like she's the silent third co-founder to maple she's involved i talk to her every night about you know product decisions and business we talk about our kids we talk about life but like we, angel investments philanthropy we, we we have made a very uh, intentional decision to give as much money away as we can while we're alive to uh, you know reproductive care and ivf like everything comes down to us not me doing this or you doing that it's we're doing these things together which means that the responsibility of every decision sits on both of our shoulders. There's some aspects where I lean in a, a little bit more specifically like on the investing side, because that's something that I have historically been passionate about of helping other entrepreneurs, but I run these companies by her. Like, I'm not like just telling her, Hey, we just gave this company $50,000, $25,000. What do you think? And on the flip side, there's things that she does and she runs them by me. And we, we have to align on those decisions that trickles down to like our children as well and how we want to discipline them and how we want to raise them and how we want to provide a sense of humility to them. And so I think the most important thing, and especially in today's world is just treating each other as, as equals and not have any expectation of one another, other than we're doing this together. So like, I'm not going to come home and be like, what the fuck? You didn't wash the dishes today <laughs> because you're my wife. You should be doing my laundry. Like, yeah, certainly I'm very thankful she does my laundry, but like, I also unload the dishwasher and she also cooks dinner and I also take out the trash and she also, you know, cleans up dog pee. Like we just like, it's, it we're done. surviving. Yeah. We're surviving life. I always together. call it survival mode. We're yeah, just we're in survival mode. Yeah. I mean, you have three kids. Like, you know what it is? Like it's, it's a circus, right? We're trying to be ambitious people we're trying to be i think good humans while we're on earth together and we're trying to teach our two privileged sons and we always want that to be at the forefront that we have boys where a system in this world is designed for them to benefit from and so they need to see firsthand that you have to combat the system and build your own system and do what's right not just lean into what you are inheriting in terms of the privilege that is being a white male in this country Right. So how are you kind of instilling that? I know your kids are super young. I mean, like the almost one-year-old, it's kind of impossible. Yeah, to the, the one-year-old's a wash, not the three-year-old though. But the three-year-old, how are you going about that? Because actually one of my questions for you was going to be about, I mean, you're a white male privileged who, you know, founded a company, sold a company, has a track record, decided you wanted to start this other company. I mean, on paper, it's an easy investment. You have the connections. 
say someone else had that same idea coming in, you know, but maybe was a minority female, probably wouldn't have had the same route or ease. So I want to get to that question. But beforehand, I wanted to talk about teaching your kids about that privilege. Like, I'm curious, like, how do you even start that conversation? Are there, what are there things that, you know, you can start doing even at the age of three? You know, I'm no expert on raising kids. I mean, everyone has to follow what they believe is best for their children. And I wholeheartedly believe that, right? I was someone who quite simply probably barely, I, I barely graduated high school. So like on one track record, we talk about my business success, my accolades and all those things. There was a time at 18 where the world would have written me off as an idiot. And my parents were just like, from the beginning, my parents were like, school is not for you. It's not for your brain. It's not for you. And my parents from the beginning leaned into my DNA. Right. And so I think part of it is acknowledging up front the situation with each individual child. My boys, as of now at least, are both very, very, very light skinned. My wife is far lighter than I am. They both have blonde hair. They both have light colored eyes. They both are growing up in Montecito, California. And so there's a sense of like, we need to make sure that these boys don't grow up to be assholes. And they need to understand that all of the things that they have. They had no choice in. They didn't get to choose to be white. They did not get to choose to be boys. They did not choose. To, well, I don't know if they're going to be straight or gay, but if one of them is gay or both of them are gay, they still have a far greater competitive advantage than most of the other people on the planet. They will deal with some prejudice in that, but like assuming that they're straight, like being born into wealth, they didn't have that choice either. And yeah. so part of that is when we, you know, buy our son toys or buy our son things, we always remind him that this is not normal. This is lucky. And just the other night, my wife was asking my son to go through and pick out toys and pick out shoes and pick out things that he wanted to give to another person that was not as lucky as he was. And so we're trying to make him recognize that he's really, really lucky. And this morning, my son asked me, you know, why do you have to go to work, daddy? Because you want me to stay. It's Santa Barbara. It's 80 yeah. degrees outside. He's <laughs> going to the pool, right? And I'm like, because daddy has to work so that I can take care of everyone. And you have to work hard for these things in life. And so we're very communicative and very clear that this takes effort. This takes a tremendous amount of luck. And that when you do inherit that, it's like a, he's a big fan of Spider-Man. Spider-Man oh, says yes. with great power so comes great, great response. I say that so, all the time. <laughs> exactly right. And so we actually remind our son that the responsibility he has is to share his platform. The responsibility that he has is to use his voice. The responsibility that he has is to act in a sense of humility, because he's gonna have things that he quite honestly doesn't deserve to have. And it's really important that we build that at three, not at 30, because I'm a firm believer that Maple or Kit or whatever money we have accrued, that will not be my legacy. My children will be my legacy. My expectations of them are that they are kind and generous and thoughtful members of this society who needs more kind and general and thoughtful members of the society. They don't need, the world does not need another rich white asshole. <laughs> Amen. And so <laughs> I just, I just, I just refuse. And my wife and I are very aligned on this. We refuse to allow them to think that that's okay. And we course correct that on spot. And uh, we've made a pack and a pledge. There is no trust for our kids. There's no get out of jail free card for our kids. We plan on leaving most of our money to or whatever money we have at the end of it, like we're gonna spend it and enjoy it. Whenever we have left, we wanna give most of it away. And I think the most important thing is like support whatever life they wanna live, but not finance it. 
And if that means my son wants to go be an artist, then he needs to go live the lifestyle of an artist. You're not going to be an artist living in a $5 million loft in Paris unless you're a successful one. And that requires hard work. Yeah. And so I think it's just being like, I think setting some parameters to like just reality, you know? Yeah. It's so interesting trying to teach kids hard work these days because I do see that. They think, especially in the world of convenience and everything, I mean, like all the apps that made things so easy, you know, just Amazon, the thing appears tomorrow, just push a button. It's interesting to try and instill those values of hard work because I feel like our generation, even though, you know, we're not that old, we still learned the value of hard work, especially from our parents. So I love how you say, like, I have to go to work and do that. My husband does that too. I do that. And a lot of times, I mean, we live by the beach. I live half a mile from the beach and they're like, why can't you just go with us today? And it's like, no, mommy has to, you know, work. You have to do things. You know, yeah, you can't have these nice things if we don't work, but one day you'll, you'll have to work too. So I wanted to then go back to, you know, privilege, but then founding Maple, you know, you're coming out of this, you have the financial means, you can probably raise money for whatever type of company. Why Maple? Why this idea? Tell me a little bit about kind of your inspiration behind it and, you know, what it's all about. Yeah, it's okay. I'd like to first address the fundraising piece because, you know, I think that you hit the nail on the head, which is probably for sure, there's been an uncapped amount of women and uh, people of color who have been mis- like passed on for all the wrong reasons. Sorry for my language, but it's, fine. <laughs> it's one of these things that really does bother me because I do think that we live in a systematically racist world. And so, yes, there's no doubt that me being who I am has made the journey of Maple an easier one. With that, I always think of this because people ask me this question a lot <laughs> without knowing like the journey has been a painful one for me personally, right? I always think of this amazing story, which I don't know if it's folklore or, or, or what, but this woman runs into Picasso in a cafe in Paris. Have you heard this story? No, I haven't. So apparently this woman runs into Picasso, you know, we're going to say 67 years ago in a cafe in Paris. And she recognizes him and says, you're Pablo Picasso. You're the world famous artist. And he says, yes, I am. And she goes, I don't believe you. Here's a napkin. Draw me a picture. And so in five minutes, he draws this woman a picture and hands it back to her and says, you know, I want X thousands of dollars now. And she said, well, why would I pay you X thousands of dollars for five minutes of work? And he responded back and said, no, you don't understand me being able to do that in five minutes took me 40 years. And so I think the story of Maple is very reflective of that, that this is my fourth company since 2006. The first three companies, I was living on food stamps and eating canned beans. Part of, again, my wife and I, I think, survived IVF and all these things because we stress test building companies together. And she was waiting tables while she paid our bills. And I actually owe all credit of my success to my wife because without her fortitude and strength to support me on my own endeavors and dreams, Kit would have never existed. My time at Shopify would have never existed. Maple would have never existed. So it was a very, very, very painful road. And I dealt with my own forms of discrimination as an uneducated car salesman. I started selling cars and taught myself how to code. And I had the best co-founder in the world who's been with me through four companies and all these things. But, you know, everyone to some extent, unless you're a white guy coming from Stanford, I think everyone has a bit of a battle raising money. And as time goes on and you build that track record through perseverance and not giving up, the road of opening doors becomes a little bit less lock key, becomes far easier. 
So yes, my experience with Maple was radically different than that with Kit, which was radically that different than Giving, which was radically different than my first company, Live for Fame. And I used to have a wall in my house that I wrote down the first 50 names of every investor that told me no with a Sharpie pin. And I would look at it every single day, knowing I was going to prove these people wrong while I was picking up my sister from a bus stop and eating her leftover food for dinner. So for those who are listening, who want to build a business, just keep at it. And in time, you may have a harder hill to climb than I did, but in time, the view from that mountaintop will help you see the next horizon of the next mountain you'll climb. And it will get a little bit easier because your legs get a little bit stronger for the journey that you're on. The question of like, why did I start Maple? It kind of goes back to the start of this conversation, which is like, at one point, someone told me I wasn't going to have kids. And I think when you grow up, I grew up, my mother was a waitress and my father was a car salesman and they did the best that they could having a child at 20. And so we grew up in a family where we didn't have money, but we had a lot of love and we didn't have necessarily things, but we had each other. And family has always been the strongest fiber of my DNA and of who I am because I I really do think that family is the most important thing on earth. And I know for a fact, and I know this is true with you too, that at the end of my life, like none of my employees, regardless of how rich I made them, is going to be standing at my deathbed. And none of them probably are going to cry over me leaving earth. Their world will not be altered as a result of that. My sons will be standing there holding my hand and their world will be altered with me leaving earth. And so when someone says, yeah, this may not happen for you, it's like, so then what is life at the end? And that answer really was solidified for me at a time where I was finding this news out. I had made more money as a kid who grew up with nothing that I could ever have dreamed of selling my company to Shopify. Because I was turned down by 50 plus people, 60 people, 70 people, every single person in Sand Hill Road knew who I was by the time Kit got sold. I, I was begging people for money. You know, I, I was consumed with winning the Forbes 30 under 30. I was consumed with being acknowledged that I'm not just some dumb car salesman. So, you know, getting the Inc. Magazine thing was a big deal. Getting Business Insider to say that you're a top marketing executive, well, that was a big deal. But I was like feeling so unsatisfied with my life. You know, I don't know if there's this thing that has happened to you yet where you set up these like massive ambitious goals and dreams and then they actually happen. And then, and then you're, you're like, like and the- then what? Yeah, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> This is not what I thought it was going to be, but I will never forget holding my son. Like it's everything more than I ever could dream. Right. I remember like holding him at UCSF hospital. It's like all the pain had just like washed away, you know, and you can, I could still see like the digital clock and the heat lamp that they bring in. And like, I just remember, and maybe you feel this way. Everyone's experience is different when they hold their first child for the first time. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like the air escaped from the room. It was like a weird thing for me. Like it, everything was blurry. Like I didn't even see the other, it's just like I'm holding him and I was just like, oh my God, this is my purpose of life. Like you can strip founder away from me. You can strip executive at Shopify away from me. You can strip CEO away from me. My wife can divorce me tomorrow and strip husband away from me. My family can disown me. Friends can get rid of me. You'll never strip that title from me. Yeah. Like that is, that will never, ever, ever be taken from me in any scenario or any, like never will that be taken from me. And that realization, like just kind of put me on this course of like, wow, I built all these tools for the last 15 years. Like I've launched a lot of products, like 50, maybe 60 to make the job of an entrepreneur easier, but that's not our purpose. 
So how can I make the job, our most purposeful work, our actual life work, how can I give every creative bit of energy, everything I have to like within the soft and hard skills that the universe has given me through trials and tribulation, how can I pour all of that into making that job easier for the rest of my life for everybody else? Because I'm uniquely in a position to do it. And I just sat with that for a long time. And finally, I just built up the courage with a one-year-old to leave my job at Shopify. And like, I've just dedicated my life and my wife and I, I should say, have dedicated our life to family. Like whether that's how we operate philanthropically or how I build companies or how we raise our children. It's just like, I, I just, I have found this sacred truth to life that actually nothing matters except for your kids. I love that. So quick question on that though. I ask moms the same question is when they want to leave their like corporate role or whatnot to, you know, yeah. start a new endeavor for you. How did that conversation go and leaving something stable Shopify? I assume yep. you were providing a lot for the family. You know, that's a scary thing to do. How did it that, is. how did that conversation go with, and does your wife work or is she, I mean, we all work in some capacity, but. I would say my wife does a lot of unique projects. We're building a, a home right now and her focus is running that process. She does all of our philanthropy. So she doesn't have like a traditional nine to five right. job, but she stays very active in a couple of other projects. And so yeah. how did that conversation go? Like, honey, I think I'm going to, you know, leave Shopify, you know, all our great benefits, everything stability yeah. while we're having kids, IVF, all of this to start yeah. something new. Yeah. I mean, it took a year, I think of like, once I arrived at the idea, I think it took a year of building up the courage to be like, wow, okay, I'm, we're not gonna have a paycheck anymore. Life is pretty easy right now. Like it is a group effort when you make those kind of decisions. You know, I spoke with my parents because this is my fourth time. So everyone knows what you're signing up for, right? It's yeah. not just like the, it's well, not just the- that's also actually why I'm asking. Everyone knows what you're signing up for. So yeah. it, it's yeah. not the easiest road or it, it, it's it could not. be, it could not. No, it's not. No matter what you're, no matter how you start, whether you can knock on a door and get a check. I mean, it took me, you know, the first, my last company kit took me a year to raise a million dollars. Maple, I raised a million dollars in 30 minutes of phone calls. So like they, these were different starting points, right? But no matter how you look at it, once the money hits the bank, the journeys, this is actually a harder road because the expectations are far higher from everyone else involved. Well, and also kind of the concept. So explain, I mean, like I know what Maple is, but the audience might not know exactly. Yeah. And the concept is less straightforward than say selling a SaaS company to, you know, it's, it's yeah. a little different than what you've done. So what is Maple trying to achieve? So what Maple is like, quite honestly, simply trying to achieve is that there's two key problems that exist in every single household. One is the lack of division of labor. Most households operate under the same 80, 20 principle as every other company, which means for the audience that don't know the 80, 20 principle, 80% of the workforce contributes to 20% of the output. 20% of the workforce contributes to 80% of the output. And in most households, at least in most heterosexual households, mom is doing probably 90% of the work, maybe, maybe actually even more, right? And so I have my own systematic belief system that part of that is just generational inheritance of like, you know, gender specific norms and roles. The other piece of it is that like every other industry, software has changed the way that we work 
And there isn't actually great software in the home in terms of like managing the workload and productivity associated to running a home. And so we have four basic tools right now that we offer people who use Maple. One is a topics folder to help you organize all of your home, whether that's bills and financing or grocery list shopping or planning for Christmas or planning for summer camp and so on and so forth. As of today, since September, we've seen 175,000 household topics be established amongst our user base to get organized around key specific things. Inside of each of those topics, we provide the tooling for the household to communicate around that topic, i.e. summer camp, to establish the workload associated to that, a to-do list that's needed to plan for summer camp, a calendaring system so that you can calendar when you're going to leave, when you're going to pick up, so on and so forth. And we have one of the best calendaring systems on the planet. Now we just spent a ton of time really kind of improving it. And then the last, which we just released is Maple Notes so that you can create shared documentation and sharing the research for these various topics inside of the home. So that's one real core problem that we're solving to answer the, to in a long roundabout way is how do we get people to work better together so that we can establish better equity in the home so not everything is falling on mom. The second thing that falls on mom outside of the actual division of labor, and this is where we, the biggest step change in the division of labor is most men now say, you know, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But the actual mental fatigue comes in the planning process. And we're working on some, I would say it's my best body of work, revolutionary ideas to solve for planning specifically. And that should be released later this year. I got a sneak peek of that. So I'm excited about that. Yes. So what do you think? Good idea? I think it's a good idea. I mean, I know, for example, I planned birthday parties. I planned four of them okay. within three weeks. Yeah, so, so you, I get you know. it. But then yeah. I'm also, so then how do you combat? I'm just curious on, on your personal forefront, not, not with Maple, but like, so for me planning something, I'm kind of a control freak. Like I, I have to be in charge of that yeah. in your house. How do you deal with that when like, it is the big mental load, but then it's hard to like trust, say you like, Hey, okay. That's why we give you the to-do list because it's like, mm -hmm. it's easier to be like, okay, you need to go to the store and get ice and fill the balloons and do this yeah, and do yeah. that. But how do you relinquish the control? You, you may not want to relinquish the control. I think the most important thing is understanding that, listen, there's 125 million households in America. That's just America. There is no blueprint. The same way there's no blueprint to raising children, there's no blueprint to running the home, right? You and I, I can guarantee you, are very, very, very different people, as we should be. That's what makes the, the world so uniquely colorful, right? But the, the biggest thing is, can we provide the right tools so that the best version of you is magnified, right? I think there's a lot of men who actually want to participate, and actually, just because their fathers were pieces of shit and or whatever, like, they just don't even know where to start or begin, where I think that, unfortunately, because of this very ancient, you know, let's say 10 million year legacy of how we think that tribes and households should be ran, kind of more exposed and baked into a lot of women. But the reality is, is that in 1940, four out of 10 children had dual working parents. And in today's world, it's nearing nine out of 10. And so like the world has changed. And so some of these expectations have to change alongside with it. And so as long as the tooling exists, people at, in their own marriages, in their own households, they need to design the system that works best for them. What we want to do is remove the excuse there. On that note, because so many families are dual working parents, when you started Kit, it was you were not a parent yet. So Correct. you built a different probably type of culture than you are with Maple. Can you That's address right. like Definitely. how as a founder, can you create a company culture that is more, I guess, in this day and age, equitable or like how do you encourage, you know, working parents or like what things have you changed from your time at Kit 
to now Maple internally as a CEO? Well, you know, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. First and foremost, it's important to recognize, you know, I started Kit when I was 25, 26. I was in a very different chapter of my life. Even if I didn't have children today, a 26-year-old man has a or woman has a very different set of priorities and time and freedom than let's say a 36 year old, right? I mean, when I was 26, I would work till midnight every single night and not give a fuck right? and drink beer at 10 o'clock in the morning because who cares? Like you're working nonstop. Like, I don't know too many people that are 40 that want to operate like that. So it's first worth acknowledging that I myself as an individual has changed and grown. And so certainly with or without children, my working culture and relationships would also kind of change. I think the biggest mistake, and this actually is really, really important for people who aren't even a CEO or founder. I think the biggest mistake is when anyone makes a decision that is not um, rooted in empathy. And it's incredibly hard to be empathetic unless you've lived that experience, right? You are a minority woman who's dealt with far greater prejudice than I ever have and ever will. That's just a reality, right? And so it would be difficult in a leadership level to be able to put myself in your position because I'm not dealing with prejudice in the workspace. I'm not dealing with prejudice outside of our office, right? I'm not dealing with social confines and glass ceilings. I'm not dealing with that shit. And so when making a decision, you always need to try to put yourself as close as you possibly can in that decision. Now, if you've never had children, you don't know what it's like to be exhausted. You don't know exhaustion. You don't know. You've never, ever, 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 ever had exhaustion. Ever. You have a version of tired. There's a version of tired that you've experienced. Then there's exhaustion. And I look back at some of the very poor and terrible expectations I would put on people. And it was like, I was sympathetic as in like, oh yeah, take the afternoon off because you don't, you should not miss your kid's soccer practice. But I hope that you're online tonight after you put them to bed. That is ridiculous, right? There's a lack of human element that has gone into that decision-making prior to me even starting Maple that was like a big part of my own personal growth. And so I think that every leadership team, whether you're at a publicly traded company, a private company, you're the CEO, whatever, every leadership team should have a parental table if you're not a, a parent. Same way you have a, a board helping executives. There should be a parent cabinet that is helping educate and teach and coach people through what it's like to to manage people who have kids if you're essentially a single person. At Maple, I think every leader has to be the common denominator, right? You can't ask anyone to do what you're not willing to do. That's just bullshit, right? You have to be in the trenches with everybody. You have to be leading by example with everybody. And so, no, I'm not missing bath time with my kids. I'm not missing dinner with my kids. I'm not missing my son's birthday. I'm not missing 4th of July. I'm not like, because again, it goes back to that simple truth and that simple reality, which is, no matter how hard you come to work for me, I won't be there at the end of your life. And you won't be thinking about how much money you made or what products we launched or what great PR moment we had or what talk you gave on. Like, you're going to be looking at your children and wishing with everything that you had that you could have five more minutes, five more days, five more years. And I'm not going to deprive anyone of that. Like, that's just baseline human being a kind, generous human being, right? So we, we have like family flexibility at Maple. I encourage people, we're going to probably next year, actually, we do the last week of December off where the whole company closes so that you can have a nice Christmas and new year with your family. We're probably going to do a summer break where the whole office closes for a week outside of your vacation time so that people can like not be stressed out about what's happening at work. And just the whole company's closed. Like go be with your kids. Like don't talk to me. I'm going to be with my kids. And so if you're you single and kids. you don't have kids, just enjoy. <laughs> if you're single, <laughs> and don't message me. Don't message me about <laughs> shit. Like 
Go to Cancun. I don't know. So I like, love that idea, though, like that you should have like a parental person on course. your board. Because if you think of, of all the boards, they advise you on all the fight, like everything. But not uh, every, people. Every inclusion officer, every yeah. inclusion officer at every company is like, this is how we should be thinking about race, gender, yeah. sexual preference. No one's like, yo, how about the fucking Just parent who working uh, parents. Yeah. is not sleeping every <laughs> single night because they're breastfeeding their 10-month-old yeah. and maybe they're Or they have nightmares shit. and you can barely even think the next day. Brain fog is real. Like, or it's... how about like, <laughs> why are we doing happy hours at five o'clock every single yeah, night? Yeah, but that's you know, dinner time. It's like, yeah. you want to go home. Oh, yeah, I, yes. exactly. So like, we just try to take these things in consideration that like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to a six o'clock team dinner period. Cause I'm going to have dinner with my kids because they're only going to be three and 11 months old for a very tiny window. And no one that works at Maple is worth more to me than time wise worth more than me and my children. And no one at Maple should be worth more to you than the kids at your house, you know? So that's just how we kind of like think about that. I love that. You are a great CEO. Well, to wrap things up, I wanted to ask, what do you think is your superpower that you gained once you became a dad that makes you better at either business or life? This sounds like so probably cliche, but like, honestly, I think it's empathy because like, I, I think my children have made me a kinder man. Like I couldn't imagine anyone hurting my kids. I couldn't imagine someone treating my kids as anything less than great men, you know? And I just think that like your children actually are your teachers if you just quietly listen to what they're showing you. And for me, what they've shown me is a better version of myself. Beautiful. Well, where can we find you online? I mean, I'm kind of at Michael Perry everywhere, but <laughs> I'm not really that important of a human. You're far better off following at Grow Maple everywhere because <laughs> that's where we're going to work every single day for, for the people listening to this conversation. And it's an amazing app, so go download it. You can find it, I think, at any of, I mean, Apple, Anywhere. Google, Shit. whatever GrowMaple.com. You can log in and use it. Yeah, yep. there it is. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining today. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.